Good morning. Thanks, Mark, Patty, talent there that I didn't know, um, especially Mark with the guitar. Once you start here, it's it's pretty much over with. You're called upon time and time and time again. Well, um, we will open up Scripture this morning to us, and um, I'm going to read. Um, this is part two, guys, of last week's uh, beginning. Um, but it, it's been brought to my mind this morning that every time we open up the Word of God, especially here together, that we are standing in the counsel of God. And uh, how much do we need to be able to hear and see and listen um, to what God has to say to us? Um, God reveals, as we heard this morning from R.C. Sproul, you know, God reveals his character in his word and how much we need to be more like him, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's um, open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And once again this morning, I'm going to be reading um, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24 and going through chapter 10, verse 13. A rather long, long set, um, section here, but it all is together. And so let us read it as a whole. Starting in verse 24, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happen as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And finally, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Just a little background from um, what we covered last week. We um, covered um, um, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. 
And today we're going to start there in verse 10, but just give you a little background so we're all on the um, same page here this morning. Um, Paul, and I'm going to back up because I, I want to set the context of this scripture um, for us so we'll all know where we're coming from here. But the context here is winning souls for Christ. And Paul makes that clear for first parts of um, chapter 9 by uh, saying he became all things to all people in order that he may win some. And he said that he was said that to everyone. No matter what his, his audience was, that was his desire. In, in fact, in verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And so Paul, Paul, Paul saw a necessity in himself to preach the gospel. He, he, uh, it was a divine call on him. Um, Paul, as we see, he had a strategy, and we got into that last week, but how he was going to do that, what he did him personally to himself in order to um, win people to Christ. But there was this desire, there was this responsibility, there was this sacrifice. All good things for us to have in our own lives as far as um, bringing the gospel to people. That a desire, a responsibility. It's going to be a sacrifice. And so um, it's a responsibility that we have. And so that, that was Paul's heart as he... Um, was preaching the gospel. And so Paul's strategy for himself was to exercise self-control and, and discipline. And um, he is like the, um, he, he, and he gives his strategy here, he compares himself to an athlete that's competing in the games. And he goes about um, this preaching of the gospel with purpose, precision, and skill. And he gives um, examples of a runner, and this runner runs as one with aim, not without aim. He says it runs with aim. It has a goal line in place. And he says, uh, like a boxer, he doesn't just beat the air. He has a target. And that's where the precision comes in. That's where he is um, not wasting his blows. And then he says all of this. And he comes to this word that that should cause us a um, little, um, make us aware of nothing else. Um, scares me. Um, but he says in verse 27, but I discipline my body. Why did I do all this? He says, I'm, I discipline my body and make it a slave so that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's a strong word there, disqualified. And basically it means um, not standing the test or rejected. We used the word last week, kind of uselessness or unfit. And so one thing we want to make clear again this week is um, Paul is talking about winning souls for Christ. Paul is not talking about salvation. That's why I wanted the context to be forefront. This is about winning souls for Christ. And you know, the thrust of these scriptures um, is, and the title of this um, message is, Take Heed. We find that in verse 12 of chapter 10. Um, examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. 
to make sure on you know where 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 is our attitude? Do we have a flippant attitude because of our years with Christ? Uh, you know, are we um, hey you know I'm too far along in the Christian life to ever get trapped by sin? So Paul's words here to us in the beginning here is. We have to develop. We have to continually watch. But we, ha- we develop that self-control. We develop the discipline that we need in the Christian life. And we gave examples last week of just three. There are many these disciplines, spiritual disciplines of the Word of God, prayer, and fellowship. Just the one big three, if you want to call them that. And so that brings us to chapter 10. And, and probably we would think is, well, Paul started on a new topic here, but he's not. He's continuing on. And the word for, your Bible may say something different, but the word for here is connection to the prior four verses that we just looked at. And so he's connecting these verses together. And Paul is saying this is exactly what happened to Israel. And he's going to remind us and his readers of what took place with Israel In the Exodus, he's going to point us back to that. This is the history as they left Egypt. And basically what's happened here is that because of a failure to really deal with their lives through self-control and discipline, they all lost out. They were disqualified. And so Paul has drawn these Old Testament lessons, and you can go back and read them in Exodus and Numbers. But Paul is going back to these books of the Old Testament and is using them, for example, for, for the Corinthians, but most importantly for us. And so these first four verses of chapter 10, we're going to see kind of three parallels that um, Israel from the Exodus had and how they parallel with the Christian life today in our very own lives, our very own journeys through this Christian walk. We're going to see things, and, and these are the three points here of, of this right now, um, first we're going to see identification with Christ. Then we're going to see sustenance by Christ. And then the sustaining presence of Christ in these little four verses here. You know, God supplied their every need. You know, this is God's provision for his people. This is God's provision for us, even to this very day. We are without excuse you know, when God called Israel out of Egypt, it was, not, it was not a universal salvation act. God picked a particular people, and he drew them out. You here today, if you're a Christian, you are a peculiar people, a particular people that God has drawn out. And he called them out as a witnessing community. You know, God took them from a place of bondage, and place them in a, in a world for people to see what the people of God, who the people of God are. You know, they were connected to God. They were a connected to God community. And so the world could look at them and say, that's what the people are like, of the Lord are like. And so you see the comparison here to us as Christians. What, 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 what has God done to us? He snatched us out of the fire. You know, we have been called as a witnessing community. We have been freed from the bondage of sin. 
we're in union and we're guided with our leader, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He has set us free to a lost world to communicate the wonders of God. And the danger is, and this is what Paul is getting at here, the danger is is that what happened to Israel could happen to some of us. And what happened to them, as we just read, is that a lot of them died in the wilderness. Disqualified from being part of that witnessing community and problem was sin, which we'll get into in a few minutes too. You know, in verse 1, Paul says, I, I don't want you to be unaware, or basically what he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Um, in other words, I don't want you to forget this. And he's pointing them back to the Exodus, and he mentions the cloud and the sea. And basically, these were symbols, the cloud and the sea, these were symbols of freedom from bondage. And you remember the story as they left. And so as we get into verse 2 here, the very first thing we see there here is um, baptism. You know, baptism to the Christian signifies identification or union with Christ. You know, for us, baptism um, is, uh, is to be identified with Christ. What do we say? You died with him, you rose with him, and now you live your life through him. We are one with him. And we are identified together as a community under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Israel, during the Exodus, they identified with Moses, and they followed Moses. You know, the best word for identity in Christ is the word ambassador. Ambassador. And we know what an ambassador is, but everyone who is called to be an ambassador of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so the one thing an ambassador does is and the only thing they are supposed to do is represent the one who sent them, right? That's what ambassador is. You know, our identification, like we said, is in Jesus. He's the head of our church. First Peter 2, 9 through 10 describes who you are in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that always a so that so that you may proclaim the excellencies I, I don't like that word excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for you were once not a people but now you are the people of God you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy that's who you are It doesn't make us puff our chest out. It should humble us because there's nothing we have done there at all. Nothing we have done. Because we, you know, once didn't have mercy, but now we have mercy. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are. And we understand why we are. It's because of Jesus Christ and being identified with him. Verse 3, we come up with the word sustenance, sustenance. And they talk about spiritual food here. And they all ate the same spiritual food. Um, what is spiritual food? Well, for the Israelites, it was manna. And it's called spiritual food because of its source. And what is its source? The source was God himself. 
He sustained them. And we are sustained by God also. We are supplied with everything we need, physically and spiritually. You know, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have the Word of God before us, always, the power of prayer, and we have each other. We mentioned fellowship, and all these are so very, very important, these community of believers. And we all have it. We all are in it through the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. He is who sustains us through all these things. Verse 4 brings to us to a third point or a benefit, if you have, want to. Um, it is the sustaining presence of Jesus Christ. Not only was there spiritual food, but there was spiritual drink. It says, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. And please notice that we're drinking in this verse. Drinking, I-N-G, drinking. That word indicates that this spiritual drink was continuous. It knew no completion. It's on and on and on. Jesus' sustaining presence with us knows no completion. Jesus, in his own words, chapter 6 of John, verse 35, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So as a witness in community, we have, we have these benefits. We have identity with Christ. We have sustenance or nourishment, if you would, from Christ and through Christ. And then we have the sustaining or accompanying presence of Christ always with us. And it would be nice to end it right there, wouldn't it? There is a problem. And Paul brings that out in verse 5. And according to verse 5, with most of them, however, God was not well pleased. In fact, we know as we have studied our Bible, only two actually made it into the promised land. You know, and Paul's saying they had it all. They had everything we've got today. They had it then. But because of sin, they were disqualified. They were set aside. Once again, the point here is, and I try to repeat myself, this is about service, not about salvation. But the bottom line is this. um, We can be a believer and be disqualified from service because of our uselessness, because of sin. So in verse 6, he tells us these things were for our example. And these things meaning the historical events that we just talked about, this exodus from, from Egypt. And he says he writes this for us so we should not desire or crave evil as they did. You know, when we are craving or lusting after that which is evil, it means that we are kind of calling our own shots here. We're calling our own shots we become useless. But on the other hand, if we are under control, self-discipline under control, through the Holy Spirit's power in our lives and through the Word of God and through prayer and through fellowship, then we will maintain that discipline, that self-control. 
we will be useful to God, which I know is everybody's heart. So Paul doesn't hold back. He begins talking about the sins of Israel. I mean, what were the sins that they, Israel committed? Well, the first one he brings up in verse 7 is idolatry. He simply says, do not be idolaters. I know we hear a lot about idolatry in our, in our, in our Christian lives. But basically, idolatry is to think anything less of God than he is worthy of. Anything other than God which we worship is idolatry. That's the simple definition. And as we know, there can be other gods in our society. They're not wooden things we build and bow down to, but there are things in our society that unfortunately may grab our attention and then goes beyond that and becomes something we have to have in order to survive. And you can make your own list. Money, education, position, uh, sex, uh, cars, whatever they may be. And and most of these things are not bad in themselves, Is but what, what part do they play in our lives? What part are they playing in our lives? You know, our hearts can be gobbled up by these things. John MacArthur, and I will acknowledge him right now, I, I have used his um, message on this very same scripture to help me with mine because these scriptures are a little hard, and I'll admit it to you. Um, so I want to acknowledge his, his help and his very own message that he had on these scriptures. But he says, when we bow down to these things, it becomes a wedded thing. We can be Christians, but be married to something else. Ezekiel chapter 14, I'm, I think it may be verse 5, but it says this, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart. And that's the problem. It's a heart problem. You know, what, what we have to ask ourselves a question here on what desires actually rule our hearts. What desires actually rule our heart? And, and as I've heard in my Christian walk before, is some things can surprise us that actually rule our hearts that are good. Family. Does family rule your heart? Who? You know, because whatever rules our heart, whatever des- you know, desires rule our heart, it's going to determine how we live. That's going to determine how we live. Whatever's ruling our heart is how we're going to live. And it's what we're going to worship. So it's not so much what society brings to our doorstep. It's, it's the problem with our heart. You know, Israel could never get rid of Egypt. They continued to look back. Kind of like the runner we were talking about. He runs, you know, with aim. Paul ran with aim, not without aim. He had a goal, and he kept his eye on the goal. And as we mentioned last week, anytime we're running in a race physically and we start to look around or look behind, we lose our motivation 
we lose a step. They took their eyes off the goal. And Paul uses the word race back then, and, and, and it, it's an agony. It's not easy. And I don't pretend to say that it is easy. Christian life is not easy. It wasn't meant to be. I never promised you a rose garden. Remember that old song, Lynn Anderson? Anyway, I won't go back there. Um, Then there was a second problem, and that disqualified this generation, and it was um, sexual immorality. Here again, I refer back to Pastor John MacArthur. He says, if you want to know how God feels about sexual immorality, read verse 8. 23,000 died in one day. You know, and as I was studying through this and here again, uh, getting help from commentaries and stuff, but they bring out the point here that um, we should take note of how verse 7 and 8 go together. You know, verse 7, the end of verse 7 says, and it's it's, uh, from um, Exodus, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. So they're worshiping an idol, and then they stood up to play. And the word play here is suggesting sexual sins. So idolatry and sexual sins um, are going together here. They may follow each other. So is there a connection between... Idolatry and sexual sins, that's a good question. Seems to go here. You know, we have to ask ourselves here again a question. What is my attitude towards sexual sins, whatever that may be? Is our attitude, I'm a Christian, I can handle it? You know, many Christians today and and their ministries um, have been rendered useless because of sexual sins. Um, You're probably wondering um, why in the world did I land on this particular scripture? Um, And I'll I'll tell you. um, It it came through the last several years, and it can go back a ways, but it came through our Christian leaders, our Christian pastors, or whoever they may be, um, and I'm not picking on them, but they're kind of in the, in the spotlight, um, is they're failing. They're failing because of sexual sin. And there's one in particular, and I'm not going to mention his name because I, I pondered whether I should or not, and I figured probably may have been beat up enough as it is. But um, he was an evangelist. He was an apologetist. You know, he... And you may know who I'm talking about. He died last year. Um, But I can recall just um, listening to his um, words, listening to his talks, and just and and he was good. He was good, and he was right on target. He he, 
I, I, you know, I was amazed at him. Um, every Sunday morning, coming to church at 8.30, I knew there was a particular radio station I could deal, dial to. Well, you don't dial anymore. You punch buttons. I'm sorry. Showing my age. But anyway, you know what I mean. And I would listen to him as I was coming to church, and that would even prepare me as I was coming to church. But then he died, and then it, 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 was, it was not good. Because all of these um, sexual sin came to the forefront. In fact, I went back and read an article uh, in Christianity Today about it. It was a long article. I didn't read the whole thing, but I just read enough to know. Um, you know, he, several years before he died, he began um, massage parlors, uh, women, which he had no business being around. All these things came, he started messing with. Several women came out after he died. In fact, one woman before he died made an accusation against him, and it was, it was pushed off to the side. And even, as I was reading this thing, even some of his, um, I guess you could say, his, his people that worked in his ministry um, said, hey, um, Something seems to be wrong here. Um, can we can we talk about this? And he said, "There's no problem. There's no problem. Accountability, accountability. We talked about accountability last night. He he refused accountability. And so now today, his ministry, you people that were associated with him, they just whop, They dropped out. I don't want anything to do with him. Don't want anything to do with his ministry. And today." you would have a hard time finding anything about him. Disqualified. Did God take his life? God knew all along what he was doing. But how could someone like this, you say, fall like that? And that's why, that's, that's why we so, you know, we have to keep an eye Open. We have to keep people around us that will we'll be accountable to. We have to study the Word of God. We have to be aware. Third thing we find in verse nine is, "Nor let us try the Lord." And in Numbers twenty-one five, uh, we can read, "The people spoke against God." You know, even even in our own lives today, we, um, when we think that we're not getting our due, if you want to call it that, or you know, I'm missing out on something, or we, we can say, even in our thoughts, we may not even mention the word, but we can say in our thoughts um, to God is, I don't like what's going on in my life. And we can react with that, however long it, it, we dwell on this thought, we can react in that in our flesh, and we can push God a little too far. Have any of us ever thought, you know, when we're kind of involved in a questionable thing, how far will God let me go? You know, here again, the people of, of Israel weren't willing to cut off the old life and accept the new. 
You know, and a couple of examples we can get from the New Testament here by testing the Lord. One is from Jesus himself, and you will know, remember this, certainly. You studied this. Paul brought us through the book of Matthew. But um, in Matthew, and Jesus' dealings face-to-face with Satan, what did Jesus tell Satan? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we have in the book of Acts, chapter 5, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Basically, they had sold a piece of land and lied about it. They kept back some of the money. It wasn't the deal of keeping back some of the money. It was about the lie. And Ananias had already dropped dead. And his wife, Sapphira, comes in and... Peter asked her the same question. Why is it that you have agreed to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? And she did the same as her husband did. She died right there. You know, I guess the question could be, how far would they go, you know, just presuming on God's goodness? How far will you go presuming on God's goodness? So the question here is brought to us, uh, any of us flirting on a thin edge there where we have no business and it, we know it doesn't please God. Fourth and final thing found in verse 10, where Paul simply writes, nor grumble. Yeah, that's right, Grumbling. How in the world did that make it to this list of horrible things in our own thinking, right? Grumbling. What is grumbling? That's nothing. God doesn't like it. You know, as I was thinking through this, you know, perhaps grumbling is the beginning where all these other sins birth from. Because where I am not pleased with the way things are going in my life, so I will just take over. Grumbling is a failure to be satisfied with God's will for your life. Grumbling, where does grumbling lead? It leads to discontent. And discontentment becomes to us more natural than thankfulness. And I had to ask myself, how, 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 how many times do I express my discontent? How many times do I express my thankfulness? Because if I continue to be discontent, it will become more natural than thankfulness. Paul, Apostle Paul again, but he says, I have learned to be content. You know the rest. In whatever circumstance I find myself in. The key word there is learned. <laughs> I have learned. You continue to learn. We will continue to learn. Unfortunately, many of us today, many Christians today, are guilty of grumbling, and that's good, not good. And perhaps, and, and basically, all grumbling, no matter what it may be directed to, it's, it's directed to God. You may have an avenue over here that you're mad at, but basically, it's, if God's in control, 
and you're grumbling, you're grumbling at him. And God is in control. He's sovereign. You know, and we go back to the other sins here, and basically, if we continue to complain about God's choices for our lives, it could lead to rebellion in our lives. And when it does that, it's going to render us, our witness as a Christian, useless. That's why the worship of God is so important. When we come here each week, it's designed to, to move this complaining heart to a heart of praise. And a worshiping heart is also a guarded heart. You know, I um, recently dealing with struggles of my own. I um, it was odd. I was led to this verse, and you say, "What in the world did I have to do with that?" But I knew exactly what it said. Found in Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse fifteen. And you can go back and ask it in your own lives later, not now. But anyway, catch the little foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards. Basically, remove those things in our lives that weaken our relationship with God. We think of little foxes as not calling a whole lot of trouble, don't we? In fact, um, kind of innocent. But that's the way sin is. It's so very, very, very subtle. And what we think is innocence and what it started as maybe innocence leads to tragedy down the road if it's not stopped. We may say, what are those little bit going to hurt? Sure, this um, apologist and evangelist probably thought the same thing. It just starts off with a little thought. But if it's allowed to continue, then it becomes an action. And once it becomes an action, it becomes sin. We cannot leave any parts of our lives unguarded, any of it. Verse 11, Paul says, everything that happened in Israel's life happened, for example, for us. In fact, he says they were written for our instruction. Paul says, all that I've been telling you is to help you change. And like I said, we have been blessed with union with Christ. We have his sustenance. We have his sustaining presence always. And yet, we can forfeit that because of sin. And we lose our witness. Paul takes verse 12 and sums up everything. He says, if you think you stand, take heed that you do not fall. And that's the principle. Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall. In other words, when you get to the point where you think you can handle it, you're in danger. Watch it. You're, you're, you're in danger. Watch out. Again, the point, be on your guard. You know, when we stop leaning on the Lord, we're standing on our own resources. We have to stay connected to our source of power. 
And in closing, verse 13, we could go on and on by verse 13, but I'll make it real short for us today. Um, it talks about temptation overtaking us. And in this verse 13, we, we find a word of comfort. But there are two points to this verse. One is be comforted in the fact that if we are tempted and fall, God is faithful and will provide a way out. Here again, we're without excuse, aren't we? But secondly, keep in mind always as God provides a way out and you don't use it, whose fault is that? Again, we're without excuse. So guys, as we um, land this plane here, we have, you know, we have been taking, taken from the bondage of sin and we've been set free. You know, we live, move, and have our being in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our head. He is with us always. He supplies our every need. But with that, with that comes an obligation. Paul talked about a desire. It was his desire. We have an obligation to the Lord to live self-controlled and self-disciplined lives. And we do that for his glory and for his honor. That's who we are. We are ambassadors. How are we representing our Lord in our lives? You know, we are a witnessing community of people to display the glories of God. So I would uh, encourage us, let us keep watch and let us do this together. Because sin, as Hebrews tells us, can so easily entangle us. We can become spiritually blind and not see as well as we should. We rely on others. Let us not become so conceited that we don't need accountability, or that we don't need the Word of God, or that we don't need prayer. And let us keep watch together so that our witness will not be diminished to uselessness. To God be the glory.